0: You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19.
1: We're delighted today to again be joined by Chris Murray. Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. Great to be here again, Steve. Chris is the director of the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington, Seattle, where he also is chair and professor of the Department of Health Metrics Sciences. Chris, you've been with us at different points during the last 20 months of this, of this pandemic. So what we're doing is we're trying to kind of, at this moment in time, as we're ending the summer and rounding the bend, heading into the fall and winter, we want to check back in with you and ask you a number of questions. A lot's happening, a lot's changing. We've been reading your forecasts and and the other products coming out of IHME, which continue to be sort of setting the pace for a lot of thinking about this. So let's start. If you could give us a quick summary of your forecast for the surge that's underway in the United States. What are you forecasting from here on in into the fall and winter? You know, on the basic elements of infections, hospitalization, extreme and what? how are you seeing the drivers and what are the, what is the patterns that we're going to see?
0: So our forecasts for infections, we see the surge continuing to increase daily infections well through till sort of the beginning of September. And then, you know, coming out at about 500,000 or 450,000, that range per day, and then come down to a couple hundred thousand a day in November. And then as we got farther, we, we released to December 1st publicly uh, today. But if we go out farther, we'd see the numbers coming back up again in, in the first quarter of next year, just because of seasonality. So that's the story on infections. You know, the good news because of, you know, the vaccines are pretty remarkably effective, even for the Delta variant for preventing death, and hospitalization. Our forecast for deaths, unfortunately, is that it will go up to you know about a thousand a day in early September, and then also slowly come down to closer to about five hundred a day by the end of November. So you know the surge will get worse, but not as bad we think as, for example, what was seen in some countries. You know, for example, Scotland, where the surge was. Really, really
1: large for for the number of cases, but these are still very, very large numbers. I mean the four hundred and fifty five hundred thousand per day that puts us well beyond what we experienced back at the peak in january well i'm talking about
0: infections, and you know it's a really yes. important distinction to make, Steve, which is people are used to the the, the reported case counts, but we only detect. Uh, a relatively small fraction of 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 true infections. So if you talk about reported cases, then we think the numbers will only go up into you know in our reference scenario, you know, hundred and ten thousand a day at the peak. So that's a you know basically we're we're detecting about a quarter of the infections. Now we used to de- detect more, but you know CDC put out guidance in May to stop testing the vaccinated. And so that's led to a reduction in our detecting, you know, the number of infections that are out there. So, you know, interpreting the numbers has become a little bit more complicated, but, you know, we won't get anywhere near the peak of, let's say, the second week of January, you know, when we were up around 250,000 cases a day. And likewise saying we won't get near, we don't think we'll get near at least the peak that we saw for
1: infections as well. And how, talk a bit about how fragmented this is going to be geographically and politically and in terms of regions within the United States, what we're going to see.
0: Well, we've already seen, you know, even up to now, uh, marked variation across the country in cumulative infection. And we, how do we know this from the you know, uh, seroprevalence surveys that CDC does in each state? on a periodic basis. So we get a nice trend in in the number of people that have been infected. And there are some places that that goes up to almost 60% have been infected already in a place like Illinois. But and then there are places like Washington State, where the university is based, that are dramatically lower, maybe 15%. So there's a huge variation already in the experience of, of the pandemic. And likewise, we see that this will play out to be variation in the Delta surges. Places with low vaccination are going to have bigger surges. Paradoxically, the places with low vaccination who've also had lower mask use have had higher cumulative infection. And although past infection doesn't give you perfect protection, maybe only 60% protection against the Delta variant, it does mean that there's sort of a, a, an equalization of the playing field because either through vaccination or past infection, you know, the levels of immunity vary, but not as much as levels of vaccination vary.
1: Do you think that this surge experienced in the fall is going to deepen the divisions in this country? You know, I think we're in a
0: very awkward situation where, uh, you know, much to the surprise of many of us who've been tracking the the pandemic, there was this narrative in April, May, June of independence from COVID. You know, July 4th was going to be independence from COVID. Good news came that the vaccinated shouldn't wear masks. I think many of us thought this was unwise because we already saw the Delta variant in India in April and it was just a matter of time when it would show up. And then there'll be other variants that come in the future. So I think this is going to, walking back as we're already seeing that idea that it's behind us is, you know, going to be really wrenching for many people. And so I think we're going to see a lot of turmoil about this. Like you told us it's done, but it's, Clearly not, and I, I I don't think it's
1: done for for quite some time. So we are in this period where we're trying to reset people's understanding and expectations significantly. We 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 had an almost a mission accomplished moment, and now we're having to say no 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 that's not where we are. So how do we present this narrative to an American people that's not going to trigger a kind of oh my god you misled us.
0: Yeah, it, it is, it, it's why we were all or, or some of us were super concerned in May when some of this messaging started, particularly the the idea that if you were vaccinated, you didn't need to mask up because it's it's so hard to undo something like that, right? And at least we thought it would have to come about that you would have to undo it given what we were seeing in Europe and, and other parts of the world and just the power of the Delta variant to increase uh, transmission. So- very challenging. I think the way that we're we're hearing the story now is that somehow, you know, that other evidence outside the U.S. wasn't relevant, and that it was only more recently that we see evidence in the U.S. about how transmissible Delta is, and thus we have to r- revise course. But that'll be a hard one to to you know eventually, because you know people do look around the world and see what's happening to COVID. I think we just have to you know embrace it and say, um, look. We got it wrong or, or, or you know, the, the narrative that the public received uh, wasn't right. And this is just the reality that we're, we're facing. I do think there's, a, there's a, a little bit of optimism in all this story, which is if you look carefully at the results that the Ministry of Health in Israel have put out, The bad news is it shows that the vaccines seem to be waning in their effectiveness after even three, four months for preventing infection, at least infection with the Delta variant, but not waning for hospitalization and death. So the really exciting great news is that these vaccines seem to be holding up and being super effective for preventing severe disease, hospitalization, death. But it does mean this idea that we'll get rid of COVID, I think, is becoming less and less likely you know, since January, we've had the view that it's going to be really hard to, to ever get COVID totally out of the picture. And I think we're just getting more and more evidence that for infection, it's going to be around. That, of course, means that as long as any group that's unvaccinated is at risk going forward, and I just think we need to change, as you said, Steve, reset, you know, change our expectations and reframe it around
1: hospitalization and death. Now, how seriously should we take in this? situation, the risk of breakthrough infections and onward transmission
0: you know it it is there, there's still a lot of language in the media about these are rare and I don't think they're rare. I think if you again look at the Israeli data, if where they're reporting if you got vaccinated six months ago, that the effectiveness of after two doses of the vaccine, now for the delta variant maybe as low as you know 18%. So, you know, not rare at all for an infection. Quite rare or or let not common for hospitalization and death. You know, the vaccines remain 90% effective even that far out. So, I think breakthroughs are a reality. What we saw in the UK is at some point 40% in their surge, in the recent surge of hospitalizations were in the vaccinated. So, these are not rare events and I think we also will have to walk back that idea that you know breakthrough event, uh, infections and, uh, are rare they're less common in the vaccinated but they're they're, they're not rare so we should take breakthrough seriously it's not an issue as, you know, just to hammer away at it, that, you know, the, the vaccines are great for hospitalization and death. It's an issue about infection. And, and maybe what we don't know is like long COVID symptoms. Like if you do get vaccinated, you get the breakthrough infection. Are you at risk for long COVID? We don't really know.
1: Yeah. Now, if Pfizer does get full approval from the FDA in September, how significant will that be in your, in your feeling, in your thinking?
0: You know, at some point, they I, I would predict that uh, Pfizer and Moderna will get approval, whether it's September or later, because they want more yeah. data. I don't know. But at some point, if—if if, unless the Israeli data is just wildly wrong, it really will end up being approved, and it, we shouldn't be surprised. How big a difference will it make? It will make a difference for... Uh, probably it may make very little difference for preventing hospitalization and death because the vaccines, yeah. as far as we know, stay effective. That, you know, maybe further data will change our view on that, but at least for six months out, it m- will make some difference for protecting or preventing infection. But my guess is we will not ever, at least in the foreseeable future, be so good at getting a third dose to people and getting the hesitant now even to get it the fir- their first or second dose that we will... You know, stop COVID transmission in the community. So that that goal of it's behind us, I just don't think will happen at least in in the foreseeable future. And so the boosters will, you know, hopefully do some good, but I don't think will will sort of be a game changer in that sense.
1: And how are schools going to likely be impacted in this phase in the fall? The surge. Your thoughts? I think that's the huge question,
0: right? I think. You know, the good news is that the death rate and hospitalization rate remains very low in children. Uh, There is some reports, as I'm sure you've seen, that it's higher for Delta than before. That's hard to know because the underlying number, which is the true number of infections, is hard to know. And so, you know, we're not even sure about that, but it, it Will is the number of kids that are getting sick and going to hospital, or even you know, unfortunately, the, some of those reports of deaths that we've seen enough to make parents really concerned about exposure. The Delta variant, if you look at the public health England data is 60, 70% more transmissible than Alpha. And Alpha itself was about 30 to 40% more transmissible. So it's it's a lot more transmissible than last year. And so will kids in, you know, con- congregate settings trying to wear masks and like, will, will we see transmission? Very likely we'll see some transmission in schools. So what will happen?
1: I, I really don't know how schools and parents are going to react to that. You're suggesting... Again, in this moment of tr- big transition as we turn the corner in the fall, we're going to head into a very turbulent and uncertain period when it comes to school. Is that fair? I think so. I think we're going to have a lot of parents who will get spooked
0: by the reports in the media of bad outcomes. There certainly will be some. We will, I suspect, get lots of reports of transmission in schools like we are seeing in camps, uh, although some of those camps don't have masks. So maybe using masks and some social distancing will help a lot. And then, you know, if if transmission is sort of reaching a crescendo around about the time that a lot of kids are going back to school, some of them are already starting to go back to school anyway, you know, it'll be uh, that discussion
1: for the first couple of months of the school year is going to be pretty uh, turbulent. Yeah. So, I want to come back to this. You know, we're in this moment of big transition of policy, of political attitudes, of science, of behavior. The Delta variant is driving a lot of these changes. It's coming on faster, more pernicious, causing greater disease. It's threatening to pierce the immunity of the vaccinated. We've had to confront the harsh reality of 93 unvaccinated people, the harsh reality of significant hesitancy and refusal. And we're seeing change, things changing with respect to masking and vaccination, we're seeing a reversal of masking policy and considerable confusion and kind of controversy and resentment. And the criticisms of CDC have spiked. We see a move now from a variety of quarters to encourage or demand vaccinations. We've, people are being much more assertive and aggressive with respect to vaccinations. Federal government, DOD, employers, colleges, mayors, governors. We're seeing some Republicans in the South and elsewhere stepping forward in ways that people who were a short while ago expressing denial and skepticism. And we're seeing patients among the vaccinated running out and up to the level of our president and others who are sort of defining this moment as a pandemic of the unvaccinated. One question to you is we got to convince more, more Americans to get vaccinated. Do you think that these changes that are underway? are likely to step up the level of vaccinations and what level of daily vaccination's gonna be needed in order to really close the gap. I mean, if we're at six or 700,000 a day today, I think we're at about 680,000 today. What do we need to get to quickly in order to close the gap? And do you expect these policy changes and shifts of attitudes and feeling really in terms of impatience? Are going to result in some significant changes.
0: You know, if you look at the at, at the people who have not been vaccinated yet, they fall into this sort of category of people that likely can be persuaded by various things around them. When interviewed, they say probably yes or probably no. And then there's the hardcore 10, 15% that's just say no. I am unconvinced we will get to the 15% that say no. I do think we have a good prospect to getting to the other 15% that are sort of on the fence. And what we've seen in the data in this country and elsewhere is that willingness to get vaccinated goes way up when cases start going up and there's media reports of hospitalization and death. And exactly the opposite happens when things start going down. But we actually see it's quite fluid, right, the the, the number. It's not like you were born with this attitude and it, it stays constant through time. So that's, in some sense, good news. It means that people will respond to messages, signals around them. Whether all these other strategies, financial rewards, the lotteries, the, the media campaigns, the almost naming and shaming the unvaccinated will work, I don't know. I, 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 it's, I certainly don't think it will work on the, the people who don't believe in it, the 15%. But maybe we'll, we'll make some traction on the other 15%. You know, you look across the world, people also frame this issue around the vaccinated and the unvaccinated as if it's just an American issue, but it's not. It's actually within Europe, for example, there's this huge variation in willingness to get vaccinated where, you know, the French and the Germans are pretty skeptical, even more so than the U.S., whereas... The Italians, the Spanish are, are very keen to get vaccinated at very high rates. Uh, and then you have these super low rates in most of Eastern Europe. So vaccine skepticism, trust, confidence issues are pretty widespread. And so I think it is the strategy to go after, which is to try to get as many of them vaccinated as possible. Because in the long run, that's going to bring down hospitalization and death will we see a lot of change in the in the short run i'm not so sure the increase in the numbers of daily vaccinations anecdotally we're we're sort of worried that an awful lot of people from you know anecdotal samples are going in and getting a third dose already i can't count the number of people that told me they've gone and just said i want to be vaccinated i haven't been vaccinated and they're getting their third dose so those 600,000 people are including a good chunk of third timers. And so we may not be making much progress on the true unvaccinated as we think we are, even at that low rate.
1: Let's talk about masking policy. I and mean, the the May 13th announcement, the sort of almost a mission accomplished kind of statement Let's those that are vaccinated, fully vaccinated can step away from masking to the recent announcement of, of return. That's been a bit of whiplash What have been the consequences, in your view? Did the May 13th decision inadvertently contribute to accelerated spread? Are we seeing an erosion of CDC standing on account of this confusion? And what kind of communication strategy does, does this require?
0: You know, I think we've been transparent since that decision that we thought that was just an awful choice. The basic principle around policy in the setting of an epidemic should be to be cautious or, or you know, the, the so-called precautionary principle. And we just, at that time, we knew the Delta variant was spreading, much more transmissible. We know masks work. And there was already suggestions coming from other countries that uh, we were seeing spikes in places that had pretty high vaccination rates. So it was enough to be... Very concerned that there was breakthrough infection, and that it would be wisest to keep the mask policy in place. What we saw in the data and immediately after the CDC thing was just that uh, mask use plummeted in the U.S. and it plummeted probably in not just the vaccinated but the unvaccinated as well, and in kids because you know the the, the drop in the numbers was just too big to explain it was just the vaccinated following that policy, so it had. Huge effects, we think, and may well have contributed to the transmission of, of, of Delta. And now, with hindsight, as more data is rolled in about breakthrough and the very likely role of infections in the vaccinated in transmission, even more unwise. So, yes, very unfortunate. It also, by the way, had knock-on effects in the rest of the world. Because people look to CDC, I received many... Calls and discussions from people in other countries saying how the CDC recommendation was leading to a reduction in mask use in their country, not just in vaccinated, you know, just generally bringing the social pressure off wearing masks. And you know very quickly it 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 flips the other way. group behavior flips that way, so now at least in 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 some settings where I go, I always wear a mask, people look at you very peculiarly right so you the the, the social pressure is to not mask, and so it becomes difficult once you have you get over that critical threshold so it has all these knock on effects with hindsight and or even at the time, I think it was it was unfortunate to say the
1: least so what do we do now in terms of better communications people are very confused and upset and you know
0: i think the way you know the what's behind all this right i think is the way to think about it uh, and how did we end up where we are and i think what's behind it was was the very much the good intention of cdc to try and create as many incentives to get vaccinated as possible so somebody thought, well, if we tell the vaccinated not to mask up, then that's an incentive that you're, you know, if you go get vaccinated and go back to normal life a little bit more, without taking into account, of course, the knock on effects that that may change the mask use in the unvaccinated, or it may not just may not be safe. And so I, you know, it was born of good intention, I'm sure, but I think now we've got to take the precautionary approach and say, look, do we have evidence when we make these recommendations or CDC makes these recommendations that this is safe, um, as opposed to making the burden of proof being that do we have evidence that we need to keep masks on the vaccinated? And so it's sort of what, what is the balance proof? So, you know, that's sort of forward looking. How do we get out of this? Look, I think they just have to embrace the fact that in settings where transmission is going up, and hospitalizations start to rise. That we recommend mask use again, and maybe mandated if things get even
1: worse. Thank you. Last topic I want to cover is data. You've been an advocate of the need for greater granularity and quality of data, with in two respects, both to hospitalizations, extreme illness, and death. Greater granularity and quality in this period to understand who is coming coming in, and Secondly, localized data with respect to hesitancy and refusal. You've moved to the zip code approach. Let's take those two, break them apart, and explain why you are making this argument and what needs to happen in order to advance our understanding and the quality and granularity of our data.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, again, like we just keep repeating the same saga on data in this country over and over, which is... Rather than, you know, collecting detailed data and putting it out to the public and the media and the community and the scientific world, there is this, you know, throughout the pandemic, this idea that somehow the data should be not put out in that way and the narrative should be more controlled. So, for example, CDC decided, again, part of this whole idea around vaccination, they were worried about media reports of breakthrough infection in the vaccinated might undermine confidence in vaccines. So they made the recommendation in May to stop testing the vaccinated unless they go to hospital. So that clouded our numbers. We missed the increase. So how would we know about breakthrough infection if it's really hard to go get tested And when you were vaccinated? Which, you know, I can tell you even my neighbor who was exposed, wanted to get va- was vaccinated, wanted to get tested, just couldn't. Everyone kept saying, no, CDC says you shouldn't be tested. And we've seen in the numbers. It's very clear. So... You know, time and time again, we're, we're taking – we're not thinking about what's best in the long run, which is going to be transparency about the data and then doing a really good job of monitoring what's happening, especially as new variants are likely to show up. And so, you know, what we'd like to see so we can track if if vaccines are working against whatever new variant shows up is the breakdown of, you know, cases, hospitalizations, and deaths by vaccination status and just, you know, put that out in the public domain. And that'll help us, as we're seeing in Israel and to some extent in Public Health England and Public Health Scotland, to report on vaccine effectiveness, these post-vaccination studies, which are incredibly helpful for, for understanding. On the super granular data, I think what we, along with the COVID collaborative, have gotten really interested in is that vaccine hesitancy, which is this key impediment to the long-range strategy of vaccination, is very local. And so using the data that's being collected on the Facebook platform on vaccine hesitancy, we have produced zip code level analyses of hesitancy, which show huge variation even within a county. And I think that's useful if you're going to have targeted, you know, interventions, you know, pop up clinics in the right place, messaging, uh, local community outreach around vaccination to find the places where, you know, hesitancy is 60%, 70%. So I think those are the directions where we can do a better job on on data uh, as we keep going. But I you know the, the slightly depressing part of all this is we keep sort of repeating issues around data and and the fundamental issue there is not enough transparency on the data and not enough testing. Not enough testing and you know making choices like you know the recommendation not to test the vaccinated without thinking right. about the knock-on consequences when a new variant shows up.
1: Chris, thanks so much. Let's close by coming back to the question that we posed to all of our guests, and we posed this to you before. Earlier, you were much more optimistic. You were an early optimist. This is a darker kind of moment here right now, as you've outlined. So what what gives you hope and confidence, optimism in this particular moment right now?
0: You know, I, I still think the the miracle of producing a vaccine that is... You know, essentially ninety percent effective at preventing hospitalization and death is just extraordinary, right? In in such a short period of time, and we—it's so easy to lose sight of that. But it is just, just extraordinary. I think, you know, we all got caught—or not all. I'm sure some people foresaw it, but we certainly didn't about just how new variants were going to, you know, define each wave of the of of the pandemic, and. Make us, you know, rethink many aspects of of how we manage it. I'm actually, you know, it's funny you say. If if we'd done this interview uh, or podcast two, three weeks ago, I was far more pessimistic. <laughs> I'm becoming more optimistic as the evidence on sustained impact of the vaccines is becoming clearer. I think that's great, and that gives me a lot of hope that, you know, we won't see the dark days of many thousands of deaths a day in the U.S. Likely, unless some you know, the the next variant has even more immune escape. I do think, you know, we are an ingenious uh, group uh, in this country and and elsewhere, and we will figure out how to manage life in the face of, you know, COVID. It's just going to take a little bit longer
1: than we had hoped. Thanks for that closing thought. And thanks for taking the time to Have another one of these conversations that tries to tour the waterfront and see where your thinking is. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, happy
0: to be on your podcast, Steve. Maybe if we're really lucky, we won't ever be on it again.
1: We'll see. We'll we'll check back in the fall. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. Coronavirus Crisis Update is produced by Liz Ulver, and Samantha Chivers. You can find our full catalog of podcasts, including Pandemic Planet and AIDS 2021, on our homepage at csis.org slash podcasts. Thank you.